0: Greetings, CMO Combo fans. Let's open this episode with a bit of context. We actually recorded an episode with today's guest, Patrick Reynolds, CMO of Blue Conic, several months ago on the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusivity. While the episode went great, we realized that what we produced was two heterosexual, cisgendered white guys talking big talk about how we need to do better with diversity. So we decided to do better. I spoke to CMO Alliance's own DE&I team, and we're joined by one of their leaders, Jade, to host this episode and provide real perspectives on the importance of diversity in the marketing world. I'm going to be taking a back seat and letting Jake guide us through the tricky but important world of DEI, and i along with Patrick's insights as an experienced marketing leader. You might call us biased here on CMO Combo, but we know that with the right skills and mindsets, marketers are essential to an effective C-suite. Marketers like you. That's why we want to make sure the Alliance's C-suite masterclass is on your radar whether you're looking to climb the ladder or currently an experienced marketing leader you'll find everything you need to navigate the modern c-suite across four months you'll learn from experienced executives from leading brands like Trustpilot, slack samsung and more on how to drive results inspire teams and secure your place at the table ready to show the world what you can do as a c-suite marketer check the link in the show notes for more information
1: Hello and welcome to CMO Convo. I am your guest host today, Jade Warren, coming at you with a different voice. I'm the content lead and copywriter over at Community-Led Alliance, a sister community to this community. Today, we're going to be talking to Patrick Reynolds all about diversity, equity, and inclusivity. And so let's introduce him. Hi, Patrick, how are you? Doing
2: very well, Jade, how are you? Thanks for having oh, me.
1: Oh, great, thank you. Yeah, messed up that intro a couple of times, but luckily our listeners don't have to hear that. We <laughs> <Yeah>, have got <laughs> all one. All good well so he will be chipping in every so often um but yeah it's just gonna be a conversation between you and me about all things D and i so walk us through your background what do you do you're a blue conic what's your background
2: So my background is I am the CMO of a company called Blue Conic, which is a technology company uh, that is in the customer data platform space, which will probably be something we should drill into later. So the idea of a customer data platform is you can recognize the behaviors of individuals and create profiles that are inclusive of all of their different sort of activities that you're aware of. And that's probably not lost on this audience uh, as a good, a good springboard for further conversation. So um, Luconic is a portfolio company, of Vista, uh, which is the largest technology investor in the world. And that also will probably influence a lot of the conversation here because this topic is very front and center uh, in the Vista equity world. So uh, happy to talk about that experience as well. Before that, I was a part of a number of different startups various shapes and sizes and outcomes. And before that, I did some things in, you know, B2C advertising and all kinds of things a lifetime ago. But that's me in a nutshell, coming to you from upstate New York in the U.S.
1: Brilliant. a wealth of experience for us to work with there. So throughout your time in marketing leadership, are there any kind of philosophies that sort of underpinned your approach?
2: Well, yes, uh, it's very trite to say, but I have always been a... uh, observer of people in life which is an expression that i learned quite early on and so i take a kind of an anthropological did i say that correctly i might pull the jade there Uh, i try to be a cultural anthropologist of humans in the wild as it were Uh, so on the subway in the park uh, when they don't know that you're sort of observing you're observing in a non-creepy weird way but always just kind of Keeping an ear open and uh, and my eyes open to how people look, behave, interact uh, and, and that kind of thing. And I think that's always been sort of really core to my, I take a journalist, I guess, perspective to how to do marketing.
1: For sure. I mean, I feel like that's really interesting in relation to the topic we're talking about today, diversity, equity and inclusion. Sort of, you know, keeping an eye on everyone and everything and making sure you're seeing everything that goes on. So can you talk us through why you sort of wanted to discuss this topic today and why it's important for
2: you well uh i think it's important to talk about it from a marketing perspective and making sure that we are building the kinds of organizations that represent us as people and our businesses well so that's one thing i also would like to speak to you uh secondarily as a human uh, who recognizes the dramatic and desperate need for a more inclusive, multicultural, multi paletted world? And then I would also like to speak to you, if you'll allow me, as a cisgender, middle aged white guy, because I think that persona is critical to making everything else work uh, better, faster.
1: In my I mean, I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, that's one of the things that's interesting about this podcast. This is actually a re-record. Um, we did it once. It was Will um, and Patrick. But we sort of came back, took it back to our D and i team and said, OK, look, this is two white guys talking about this. It's great. That discussion needs to happen. But how can we reframe it so that we've got diverse voices in the room and we're making sure that we're doing justice to this topic? So I'm really glad you brought it up. But yeah, it's all about being human. How do you think you define diversity, equity, and inclusivity?
2: So to me, it's creating a space where all are welcome. And a different way to say that. It's funny because ironically, despite being in marketing, I absolutely have a blood curdling hatred for sound bites and acronyms in particular. So I'll speak in more plain talk than maybe other of my colleagues might. I want to create an environment that broadly looks like the world that we live in. And uh, up until quite recently, the business world was a little cocoon nested within this increasingly diverse world, but immune to it. It was a little white bastion in the middle of a very multicolored ocean or constellation. And that just that that dog won't hunt anymore to use an americanism for you so we need to figure out a way to make what happens inside the four walls of a business more closely mirror what happens outside of those four walls
1: 100 i mean for the people in the audience who do like a soundbite, let me give you this little one that will and i definitely appreciate ourselves diversity is being about diversity is being invited to the party inclusion is being asked to dance and belonging is dancing like no one is watching so, I feel like that's a good way to sum it up. But why is that something that is so important for marketing, like you mentioned? And why is it important to sort of look at as a CMO?
2: Well, uh, it's important to be fluent in all of the idioms of the audience that you are um, candidly marketing to or selling to, right? So, even though we're selling sort of enterprise level software, we're seeing the buyers of that kind of a product change, right? Um, Ten years ago or more, they were, they looked a lot like me, and that's still the case in certain cases. Uh, now though, we're finding people who are younger, more diverse, have a different background, and if I come at them with a series of, you know, Seinfeld references and dad jokes and baseball, you know, um, parlance, it's probably not going to land, right? So it's enlightened self-interest for me to have people who can make us fluent in the language of our customers. If you want to be purely uh, sort of financially motivated, that's one way to look at it. The other way I think is we need to create a better society and business is integral to creating a better society for better or worse. We can't fix the fact that business has a large outsized presence. But because it does, let's capitalize on it and try to advance the ball as, as much as we can. So there's a there's a financial, there's a business motive. I believe that a more diverse set of marketers is preferable and better over time to a less diverse set of marketers for business results. Great. I would also like to create a world that I'd like to work in and live in. That's sort of secondary, I guess you could say. Another thing that's really interesting though, and I hope we can touch on it is, Younger people are making very interesting employment decisions now in some cases. And you know there's a lot of sort of signal and noise dilemma there. But you'll read a lot of things that'll say that a lot of people are opting to work less or they'll work uh, more remotely, or they'll take less money for more um, latitude of schedule and such. And I think, and I, uh, this is not an entirely unique idea, but I believe that a lot of that has to do with the fact that the business does not map to their values, and they almost want to limit their exposure to something that's, I wouldn't say in, uh, it's contrary to their values. But if if your work life is just too damn different from your life life, you're going to want to shrink it So that you can have your life life so if we can make work life a little more like the outside world then maybe we can have a more harmonious relationship between work and and personal life
1: definitely i mean i think i was going to say prior to that anyway it's interesting nowadays i think brands have a lot less room to hide i think that's um, particularly amongst young people in the way that they choose where they're going to work you know you can go and look up a business and see how they're employing people and, you know, sort of what that work culture looks like. is the same in terms of the way that they're marketing things. You know, you can look back a couple of years and say, okay, well, this brand did this thing. Do I really want to work with them? Or do I even want to buy their products? Um, I'd love to sort of talk about your experience with that and any sort of real life experience you've got of those sort of instances.
2: Yeah. So listen, I think that you know the bigger, certainly the pu- more public companies have been talking this talk for some amount of time, and but it's only recently that they're beginning to walk that walk. So for a long time, uh, by the way, I just whether this makes the final work product or not, I don't know. Like I am just pathologically direct and honest. So here's the thing: optics were have always been essential you needed to look suitable for company, right? So people would make great efforts to, in their advertising campaigns, to show a vast array of people and all that. The people making those things though, were typically much more like me than what the company was portraying. I think that has started to change. I think it has has changed dramatically in the case of women, I think it has changed dramatically in other ways, but I don't think it's changed as much as it, frankly, needs to in the case of people of color. But I think that is happening; it's just not happening at the rate and pace that I think anyone would be comfortable with.
1: I 100% agree with you that I think it's it's an interesting one because you can sort of see change happening culturally, but then the amount of time that seems to take on the business side, you know, it's um, yeah, it definitely doesn't feel like it's keeping up
2: well, it's, it's very ironic too, Jay, because the marketing is typically sort of the canary in the coal mine. it'll it'll put it out there that this is where we need to be. But then if you actually pull back the covers on the people making the marketing, they they are they're uh, talking it but not walking it. It's a lot of white people making commercials about how important diversity is. And so now that is changing, and I think that's critically important. But you know that's another hashtag ironic that that kind of sticks in my craw a little bit.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's a great point as well, though. That's sort of the way that brands market and then don't actually reflect that internally. You had sort of, I mean, I guess, what does that look like for you in terms of your experience? How have you sort of seen that change happen with, I guess, how you've chosen a brand to work with or in the work that you've been doing yourself? What does that look like in terms of the marketing you've been, put, you've been putting out there versus what is going on internally and whether that really does reflect what's going out?
2: Yeah, listen, I think in in the world of startups in particular, um, and I would say Blue conic is decidedly not in this camp, but a lot of the startups I've been a part of, they're clubby. You have a small number of people in the venture capital community giving money to a small number of people that they can rely on. And again, it perpetuates this handing off of the baton within a circle, though. So it really just kind of goes around. Um, And... Those are all good people in my experience, or most of them are really good people in my experience. But again, it's a very small circle. Uh, I'll I'll contrast that when I worked for Mastercard, obviously a large publicly traded global company. Diversity was real there. So if you would have an offsite, I would literally be the, uh, the 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 dare I say token uh, straight white guy in the room, and I would be amongst all of God's creatures, and it was fantastic and the ability to harmonize that energy and and get that thinking together and all those broad perspectives. You know, we also have a terrible fault in in the US of thinking in red, white, and blue terms and thinking of a very US-centric world, which is um, becoming less the case all the time as well. So for all those reasons, just hearing people, hearing how they talk, hearing their stories, hearing about their families, seeing their pictures and all that, I just, it's an awakening. And it made us better at what we
1: did. I love that about sort of being the only, I mean, obviously it must be an interesting feeling when you're used to a different situation, but being that only person in the room who looks like you or sounds like you, and then getting to hear all of those other opinions. And I think that's something that when we do illustrate that in marketing is really valuable and it's why people buy into it. Speaking of that, customer expectations in terms of marketing and DE&I initiatives Something that's always really stuck out for me is Fenty, their makeup. Living in the UK, I remember sort of back in the day when I was first getting into makeup, it was an absolute shocking selection of um, colours that matched my skin. It was um, me sort of begging my mum to take me to buy high-end makeup so that they would actually match my skin, whereas my friends were just going to the local drugstore. Um, seeing Fenty come in with something where it's like, 40, 50 shades was revolutionary for me and something that, I mean, it's normalized now in the makeup um, world, in the makeup industry, but I remember that really being something that stuck out to me and really made, made me think and made me realize, okay, the represent, representation really does matter. Are there any sort of examples you have of DEI initiatives from other brands and what you think that's had an effect on in terms of customers?
2: Well, I I guess we'd be remiss to not talk about the Bud Light uh, fiasco, where uh, just because you say it doesn't mean it's so. I would sort of file that under the heading. Um, I think that there was absolutely nothing wrong with what Bud Light did. In fact, I could find a lot of things that are admirable about it, provided it was coming from a genuine place. Providing it was not as I said earlier, oh, you know what, we need to do a thing in this area so that we can get a good DEI grade in our, you know, board meeting. And so we did that. Back in the woodshop. We don't look like that and we're probably laughing about it or whatever like that's if there's a disconnect like that, then we have a real problem, I don't know that the average consumer, much less kid rock. has privy into what they're talking about when they're creating that kind of a campaign, so I think it's a little self serving for the haters as well. But it just goes back to you will make things that work for your audience, provided you know those inputs right, I can market to a diverse. Array of customers better if I have a, di- a diverse array of people helping me market. I don't think that there was, uh, they were struck by lightning at your, uh, to use your cosmetic example. I think they probably hired some people that said, you know, like this wouldn't work for me personally. Like, would we ever consider doing blah, blah, blah? I don't think the initial people who were creating it were doing it from a place of exclusion. I think they just didn't know. And that's really, they're more like sins of omission than commission. I don't think anyone ever intended to make makeup that would not work for you. I think they never it never occurred to them that it wouldn't work for you because they look like me. And it's very much the same. Again, when you use your little metaphors and the little patois business, if that's all super single-threaded and, and elitist and white and all these kinds of things, or American, whatever the case may be, we're not doing that from a bad place. It's just the language that we speak and sort of the culture that we kind of came up through. But it doesn't work anymore. So you need to bring other people into the room and they can sanity check your stuff, much like your kids will eyeball me before I go out. Like, is this OK? Like, I have to ask now if we're all going to be together. It's the same kind of idea because it made sense to me. Or I wouldn't have put it on. But if they marched me back upstairs, it's like, OK, well, that doesn't work anymore, evidently. So I'll adjust.
1: You think that's something that's, um, you know, a big blocker then in terms of businesses being successful and organizations being successful in promoting these DE&I and D and initiatives is having those rooms of people who are, you know, they just all do look the same and they all have the same background and being um, reluctant to hire out and get people with different experiences.
2: Yeah. I mean, how, how is it possible, much le- you know, much less plausible, that you can ask a very small group of people who are not what you want them to be to be more like you want them to be right so i'm going to ask a room of 10 people who are all white six went to stanford four went to harvard i want you to now be of the people and go out and cast a big net for the people in hoboken new jersey and in brixton london and right i'm i it, how how was that going to ever work? It wasn't. So if you actually want that, so the question is, do you actually want that or do you want to look like you want that? If you actually want that, you need to bring in some people who would have some understanding of those places.
1: Definitely. I mean, it brings back a memory for me. Uh, last year, I lived in Manchester. There's this big sort of park in the centre of Manchester, Piccadilly Gardens. If you have any British listeners, <laughs> you may remember or may know of this park. It's not very pretty. It's not the sort of place you sit down and have a picnic. You just sort of walk through on your way to another place. There was this huge poster put up. And this is not really anything to do with, um, I guess, Dee and I, in the sense that we're talking about it. But it's more about knowing your region and your audience to that extent. This big poster for Magnum Ice Cream. Where it was saying, we're better of something like this. we're better to enjoy a magnum ice cream than on this park, probably the most ugly park in the UK <laughs> and um, the amount of jokes and things about that from people local to that area where it's clearly like, yeah, this is by someone who has no understanding, no idea of what this place looks like. That kind of marketing doesn't work. I mean, it probably works in some roundabout way just to get people thinking about Magnum ice cream. But I mean, you know, it definitely wasn't the intended message. And it's just a great, another great example of what what happens when that doesn't, um, yeah, that isn't executed well.
2: Yeah. If somebody in London made that and they saw that there was going to be an outdoor board and it would be in a park, they thought, got it oasis right and it writes itself uh, only to find out that that park uh is not what they thought it was
1: definitely If you know people from manchester as well they're tough on that sort of thing <laughs> so i'd love to ask will as well bring you into the conversation i know twitter has been something that's been a bit crazy right now. Elon Musk obviously taking over recent news with Ron DeSantis and Spaces. Um, I've not particularly been involved in reading about that, but I'd love to hear more about your perspectives and yours, Patrick, as well, being um, from the US.
0: Yeah, uh, thanks, Jade. Um, so, Twitter, obviously, it's been going through a bit of a chaotic time under Musk's management. But I think one of the most concerning things for me as both a human and a marketer is basically how it's elevating the platform of some very, very toxic voices some very, very far right voices. It's removed a lot of protections that were there to protect people from vulnerable groups like um, in the trans community and the LGBTQI community. Um, And the fact that the CEO of this platform that is supposed to be for everyone was on admittedly a fairly disastrous presidential campaign launch, but a presidential campaign launch for one of the most virulently anti-trans politicians going at the moment, I think means that marketers as a whole really need to start questioning whether we want to use this platform. I know a lot of companies have stopped advertising there, but I haven't seen many companies step up and say that they're boycotting Twitter completely. I don't know if, you're, if you've are if you seen anything different, Patrick, or what your thoughts are on the situation. Uh, it's very topical uh, that you bring that up. Uh, I, again,
2: speaking for myself, uh, think it is just a, a vast wasteland that I will occasionally glimpse into on my own time just to see how batshit crazy the world is. And then I quickly slam it shut and run away. Um, the the question that I would have related to your point is, you know, I think that Musk is trying to make the argument that it's it's plumbing, like it's put whatever you want on there. Like we're not here to sanction it. We're not a publisher. In other words, it's not the New York times promoting or the, you know, whatever, pick your paper promoting hate and filth and, you know, exclusivity and all these other things. It's just people, it's a forum, it's a message board and people put what they want on it and all that. I don't think that really is going to hold true anymore. Uh, especially if you're gonna charge people to to put things on there and such, and you're profiting from the amount of that, it's pretty transparent. So it's not a, a place that I think serious business should be done. I'm not sure anything should be done on it. If wishes were fishes, I <laughs> would rather it didn't exist, to be honest with you, but here we are. Uh, but yeah, it, it it has drawn into, really a um, a stark conversation, how powerful a weapon it can be. And weapon is a word that I use intentionally. It can really be, words can be weaponized to turn people uh, from pretty sane, normal people into pretty fringy people, just through a constant stream of misinformation and bad information. And it's great that you know that Twitter throws its hands up and say like we're not posting anything, we're just passing it along, but they're making the money from it. So that's what kind of is bothersome about it. But yeah, it's it's going to be uh, an incredibly wild um political season here in the U.S. And I know that in the U.K. you have your own, you know, you have a pretty fun political season as well. Seasons, yeah. um, but I think with Trump now being um, Reapproved, uh, probably to be back on there, and this it's just going to be a mudslinging mess for, for several months. Which, by the way, all of which initially will harm DEI as concepts because it'll seek to literally anybody who's for that, these loudmouths will be against and they'll denigrate and they'll bring in every all of their sheep behind them to put more wood on that fire. I think long term, it's good because I am an optimist. So I believe that all of this hate you know, every, for every action is an equal and opposite reaction. I think in time there will be a, a hue and cry to put down these people. But I think that fire is going to have to burn out first. I actually think it will advance the case for a more tolerant, diverse, inclusive world. It's just going to take a minute. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah.
0: Then Twitter itself, I think, as well. Like, if you really look at it, is it really driving that much business for companies as well? Like, I've never seen it as really a viable marketing platform. Like, the numbers, the amount of audience available there was always massively overinflated because of the presence of bots and stuff like that. Like, I remember going all the way back to when I was doing my like marketing qualifications at university, and my professor was convinced that Twitter was complete nonsense and it only, but that was when it was like the heyday of Twitter, and it seemed like everyone had a Twitter account. But and they were right.
2: And everybody has it, but people just use it very seldom and never for serious business. In other words, I don't think running B2B software marketing campaigns on Twitter is time well spent. I don't think if I'm thinking, do I need software? Well, let me see what Twitter thinks. It just would never occur to me as a buyer. There's LinkedIn, there's other forms, there's, you know. There's B2B review sites and Gartner and Forrester and all these other, I would go there to do my research. There's other kinds of forums that are specific to the topic. I would not go to Twitter to do
0: serious business myself. So honest, a, a, sorry, Jay. sorry, go on, go
1: on. I was gonna say, it's just, uh, to be honest, from my own experience as well um, of Twitter, before all of this, when it was just in sort of early stages of Elon Musk having this conversation about buying it, The way that hate speech um, and just anything hateful on that site was tackled still wasn't even great. So I feel like it's taken it from a point of, you know, not doing enough to step in when people are being negative online potentially to a a really damaging point uh, to a point when, you know, the person who runs it is actually spearheading it and that's i mean you know people will follow that when they see that and they'll think it's okay it's very easy to say um from the twitter perspective well we're not doing anything it's just people who are posting it but i mean ultimately we're humans who are led by other humans um and that's something where if the person who's running it feels okay to do it others will too
0: so and, i mean that's that's a great point jade like literally just before we jumped on this recording i was on my Twitter, on our, on our company's Twitter feed, anyway, and we don't even follow Musk, but because he's the CEO, like it gets forced onto our feed. And he was tweeting about this is the second of June, time of recording, second day of Pride Month, and he's tweeting transphobic stuff. Like to see the CEO of a platform that marketers are expected to use and trying to speak to a broad audience on, like, it just yeah, it's really galling and upsetting if you're a supporter of those kinds of causes.
1: Yeah, it's disgraceful.
2: You know, yeah, it's that's- really frightening too when you think about what will happen with the proliferation of AI when it kind of, when you have big machines that can smell the soft spots and can see where the demographics are and can see in real time or near real time where an election is trending. And, you know, we're losing in the state of Louisiana. Let's now gin up some message that we know will resonate from them because we're damn near omniscient. And then let's just unsolicited, put it into everyone's feed down there and try to turn these outcomes um yeah it's literally mary shelley's monster come to life the monster is now running the experiment and um it's it's batshit crazy and vaguely terrifying and horrible all at the same time cheers
1: (laughs) (laughs) well on that note as well um Bringing it back to Will's earlier point of, you know, brands sort of saying, okay we're not going to post on Twitter or um, actually going that step to boycott it. For brands, in your experience, how do you know when to sort of say, okay we're going to talk about this or we're not going to talk about this?
2: So uh, specific to Blueconic, uh, this is something of, of enormous pride for us. Uh, we have a really, really, really uh, tight alignment amongst the leadership team and amongst uh, Vista around what is um, around our values. I think values uh, and values alignment were one of the big reasons that Vista was attracted to blueconic and Blueconic to Vista. So, you know, we celebrated um, Mental Health Month, Women's Month, Native, Indigenous Peoples Month. Like, we are really into that, not because it helps us sell any software. It doesn't do a single thing for software. But what it does is it sends out a beacon to the world that, like, these are our values. And if your values map to our values, if you wanted to talk, cool. And if you don't, that's cool too. I think that's really, really important. To do the right thing when there's no financial gain is something that is really, really important to us. So it's probably not lost on me that conic is interesting in many different ways, but we have a woman young woman CEO, we have a woman CRO, we have a woman chief people officer, we have high-ranking women in product and engineering and everything. And I think that's, first of all, I don't think it is by design, but secondarily, it it prevents us from going into some of these dark corners that maybe some of our competitors go into. We we stick to the sunny side of the street at Blue Conic.
1: Definitely. I mean, it's again, that thing about having enough voices in the room, it's you don't want to fall into that category of the brand who changes their profile picture on the first day of pride month and then immediately changes it back on July 1st and never says anything about it until the next pride month rolls around. Having those people around you to say, okay, here's how we can do this throughout the year. And here's how we can really celebrate and have it mean something when those celebrate celebratory months come around. I feel like it makes all the difference and does, yeah, does go through to those customers and, um, pays off in the end. So what do you think can be done to overcome some of the obstacles that are faced by marketing teams and CMOs in terms of, you know, affecting DE&I? I think you just have to work backwards from what do you want? I would like to have an inclusive,
2: Team that is representative of the audience that we're marketing to. Let's just say that that's what we want to do. Okay, so how do you do that? So I need to find more people, and let's just say in my case, I need to find more people of color than I have presently, than we have presently in the company. How do you do that? Well, the first thing is you will recruit in places where people of color actually go to school. And it might not just be Stanford and Harvard, it might be state schools, it might be tech schools, it might be all kinds of different places that are non-traditionally recruited at. So that would be one thing. How do we make sure that a diverse you know, candidate slate are into those schools? So you have to have community outreach programs, you have to do days of charitable work, you have to talk about STEM, um, science, technology, what is it? Engineering and math. I just call it STEM. I don't even know what it means. I think it's those four. Though, um, when you're doing your community days and making sure that that's not just for you know the suburban kids, it's for the kids right smack dab in the middle of the city and all that. It just it's it's root and branch. All the links in the chain have to connect in order to get the outcome that you want. So that's something that we're. Hard at work on, there's tons of work to be done. The, also, the other thing is you have to KPI it, like it's an objective of mine. It's not like, hey, if you find somebody that's diverse, that'd be cool. It's you're being evaluated on your ability to cast a broad slate and bring in the kinds of people that we want to, full stop. Just like I am for pipeline creation, you know, bookings, revenue, cash, all of those things. Um, DEI is also one of that letter set.
1: Definitely. I think that's, it's reflected, especially in the alliance and our team that we work with. I said earlier in the podcast, I'm part of our DE&I team. Um, and it is about sort of putting in those actionable tasks. We have a meeting every other week to say, okay, what are our action points? What have we been doing? How are we reflecting that to the business so that everyone internally knows what we're doing? And what are we putting out there? Having that conversation amongst all of us to say, okay, this is a safe place where we can say, this needs to be done so that people from this background feel included and this needs to be put out there so that these people feel included and checking each other on those things and then actioning it from the top to the bottom of the business, it needs to go everywhere. It's not just in, I mean, as I say, we're talking about marketing teams, but it's from the absolute top to the bottom. It needs to be an internal thing before it can be, well, at the same time as it can be reflected externally. And then having that internal change will reflect and affect that um, external change naturally. Brilliant. I think that's a fantastic way to round off. Um, Will, Patrick, if you have anything else that you wanted to bring up?
2: In my view, there is a very small fringe component of the world that wantonly, knowingly do the wrong thing. If you talk to probably 80% of the world and you say, should workplaces be diverse? Should they be inclusive? Should it be equitable? course like nobody is like actively unfairness right i love unfairness i mean it right most people don't do that and most people think that they manifest dei in their private life in their work life in their lives it's only when you are exposed to someone not like you who gives you the fishy eyeball when you say something or you overhear a conversation, you think, what, what? You don't real. you don't know what you don't know until you know. And you'll never know if you don't bring people into your circle who force expose you to it. So again, I'm not equating, and this will probably get edited. Like my children are an amazing foil for me. I think I am liberal, enlightened, progressive, the sun shines out my ass, wonderful human being. And then not a day will go by that I will not get called to account for something I said never even, it didn't even occur to me that that would be offensive to anybody. Could be something around pronouns, could be something around uh uh native American stuff in our country, you know, uh, expressions that, you know, we learned from TV as kids that will now sort of talk about cowboys and Indians and that, and it's like their heads are going to explode. So you don't until somebody is different than you and you hear how they do it or they call bullshit on how you do it, you just don't know. And by, by the way, when you do know, you go, that makes so much sense that makes so much sense and you actually do move closer to enlightenment it's still a long ways to go but you move closer to it but you'll never ever read about that you can't search websites about it you can't attend conferences about it your circle must be inclusive of people very different than you or you're just never going to get it in my view that's my personal opinion and that's why it's so important to hire people broadly representative of the world so that you go oh, i am learning i am learning so much every day i'm supposed to be the teacher i learn 10x what i teach i promise you i learn 10x what i teach because i'm surrounded by people that i have not been
0: before and i'm so much the better for it um jade i just wanted to add to what you were saying about the having a, a proper internal dei program at a company like i'm a person who likes to think that always been a big supporter of diversity, equity, and inclusivity. Um, It's kind of like how I built my approach to my career, the types of companies I want to work with. But I've never worked in a place that had that kind of program before. And I think if we'd had the initial recording that we'd had, Patrick, I wouldn't even thought twice about just publishing it, just saying like, oh, we had this really cool conversation, didn't really think about the optics at all. didn't really think about the kind of framing that we had, but the very fact that we had this program in place maybe take a second thought, maybe rethink it, maybe think I should open this up to other people, see what they think So I think having these programs in place, even if you already think like oh we're fine with diversity and equity equity and inclusivity, we believe it we walk the walk. I think having these programs in place can be incredibly effective to just give people that second thought about the processes and the approaches they're taking to their work.
1: Definitely. And it's also like just being absolutely sure for yourself so you can reaffirm, okay, I did the right thing here and I made sure that I really was as inclusive as I possibly could be. I mean, there's absolutely no way to get it completely perfect every time. (laughs) And that's why it's important to even have these conversations anyway, regardless of the background of people who um, are having the conversations. It's something for everyone to think about. Thank you for that point, Will. I think you're completely right. It is just about making sure that you're sure for yourself that you're getting everything as right as you can and making sure you're being as inclusive as, as you possibly can as well. Um, but thank you so much for ending on that point, And thank you for bringing up our de and team. Thank you, Patrick, for being such a wonderful guest to have on. Um, I've really enjoyed having this conversation with you
0: both. Thanks, Jade. Like what you heard from this CMO combo? Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a rating so the whole world knows how great it was.